Hello, and welcome to the Logistics Podcast. I'm your host, James Berman, editor of SHD Logistics. Thanks for joining us. This is another special episode of the Logistics Podcast, In Focus. This episode is being launched in conjunction with the latest issue of the Logistics Report, which focuses on automation. One of the goals of that report was to identify some of the new innovative automation solutions out there. So I was delighted to be invited to Bots and Us, a startup based in London, which has developed a data gathering robot for warehouse environments. I sat down with two of the founders. So hello everyone, I'm Oana. I'm co-founder and CCO at Bots and Us. Hi everyone, I'm Andre. I'm again, one of the co-founders and the CEO of Bots and Us. We're a company that specializes in fully autonomous robots for real-time data collection and digitization of spaces. As a company, we've been going since seven years now, and the sole focus for us was, can we take these autonomous robots and integrate them as part of society so they can help our lives become better and they genuinely make our jobs easier? So the technology is really designed to operate in dynamic environments from warehouses with forklifts around them and with people moving pallets and so on. And it's designed to create a digital twin or a digital equivalent of the space with real-time data in it. So then you can see in real-time what's happening at any point in the warehouse from anywhere in the world. For our audience who doesn't know, how would you define a digital twin? Uh, That's a very good question. So digital twin, the way we look at it, because there's probably a number of definitions there, is a copy of the space whereby you can not only see the building and the racking and everything that you have in the warehouse, but also you can see the inventory around where pallets and where goods are located in the space, how the warehouse is actually developing and evolving as the days pass and as time goes. Great. Could you describe the product? What does it do? How does it work? So our product is called MIM, and MIM is an autonomous robot that basically automates two essential processes within the warehousing environment. Number one is acceptance. So MIM would kind of go around any pallets or set of pallets that are being unloaded from trucks and is able to capture the dimensions of whatever load is on the pallets, the condition of the goods, so if anything's been damaged or altered, the number of potentially consignments or the number of goods on the actual pallets, and ultimately get real-time pictures of all the sides of the receiving goods. So all of this is then kind of integrated either into the WMS or created as a report that you can pass over to the drivers that delivered things or obviously the relevant teams in charge of, of kind of revenue and compliance and so on. So that's the first step of obviously what MIM can do. The second part of it is automating the stock taking processes. So obviously at the moment, different types of obviously companies or warehouses would have a team of people that walk between the shelves and try and capture the location of every pallet, every box on the shelf, try and count how many those are, obviously if they've been moved or um, if there's actually an empty space instead of a pallet. So similarly, we'll automate all of that. So with one drive of our robot up a shelf and buy a rack, you get an instant view of what is located where, if anything else is missing. And then connecting that to the WMS, you get a perfect reconciliation between the digital data that you have in the WMS and what's actually happening on the warehouse floor at any time. What kind of results would you expect compared to a human running the same task? I'm thinking time, accuracy, the kind of data point system capture. Obviously, number one, if you look at a direct comparison with a human being, we're expecting a much faster process of capturing the data. So we're looking at probably like 20, 30 times faster, like I said, because the robot will only have to do one drive by the rack versus a human being who would have to potentially get on a scissor lift and obviously go up and down and scan all the boxes. 
Secondly, I would say that there's an element cost that would be reduced. What's more important, though, like we're not looking at a side-by-side comparison because the, the amount of data and the types of data we can capture is not necessarily something that human beings would be able to do. Like, like Andre was saying earlier, you can build up the full 3D digital versions of these warehouses, which a human being can't necessarily do. And you get a sense of perception of the volume of things, the number of items instantly, obviously together with the dimensions and the locations on these 3D maps which obviously it's not something that we're necessarily taken away from a human because they can't currently capture all that information. I wanted to talk about power. How is the robot powered? How does it charge? Robots themselves are battery powered. So they have the power from the batteries inside them, which allows them to operate autonomously without any kind of restraints or any kind of restrictions. The way they look after their own state of charge for the batteries So when they run low on battery power, they will go to one of the charging docks and recharge themselves. Robot management system or the um, distributed fleet systems that we have looks at the number of tasks available for the entire fleet of robots and then looks at, okay, how much can this robot actually charge themselves before they need to go back out and continue their mission so there's no downtime or there's no interruption in the data insights feeding into WMS. So that's kind of how they make sure that they maximize the uptime but also make sure that they look after their own state of charge. In terms of the charger, it's a standard charger. It runs off just a normal 230 ball plug. So there's no three phase involved or any any complexities from that point of view. Robots like these obviously do eventually need maintenance. How much of that maintenance is physical and how much happens without interaction from humans? Like any electromechanical system, there is a fair amount of wear and tear associated with it. What we've done in the way we've engineered and built our robots and our systems was to make sure we have a very, very rich data set of sensors that are coming out of the robots. So we can have predictive maintenance more than reactive maintenance. So we don't want to know that something has significantly worn down after the event has happened. We want to be notified ahead of time. So we have very good modeling of our system. So we know at any point in time what the state of the wear is on uh, and across any component, which allows us to be a lot more responsive with the way we approach things. Of course, going back to your first question is when you actually have to do physical maintenance to the robots. For us, it's a matter of swapping a robot out and making sure the customers can continuously utilize the tech. But also when you can do things remotely, because the system tells us so much about any part of itself, we can make sure that everything is managed through our um, cloud system. So you can restart various parts of the systems, power things on and off as needed, and, and again, ensure that the, the uptime is being maximized. How does the robot interact with current operations? I'm thinking both WMS and automation. So the short answer is yes. The robots are fully autonomous, so there's no need for any kind of infrastructure change. The only requirement is to actually find the space to fit the charging station. But that's to be expected virtually with anything. They are designed for dynamic environments. So they're designed to operate with and amongst forklifts, pallet jacks. From that point of view, you could look at them as cobots or collaborative robots. So the system is inherently designed to be safe to be used around people. And then obviously it's safe to be used around machinery. So from that point of view, there's no bottlenecks or there's no limitations. Some of the customers we're working with actually have other style of autonomous systems deployed on site. So one of the first questions they have is, how does this technology work with my existing investments in other technologies? And it works really well. If you have other autonomous robots deployed on site, 
the, our technology will, will blend and the robots will avoid themselves. There'll be virtually no bottlenecks or limitations from that point of view. What scales of operations are suitable for this solution? So there's not really a, an upper or lower limit because obviously you can always put more robots in and cover more space. And, and to touch a little bit more on that, I think that the way we envision everything is based on the number of scans that you need and how frequently you need those data points to go in, which obviously from our perspective is, is daily, and that should kind of dictate on, based on the number of SKUs and the size and how many robots you actually need for the space. So there's no upper limit because you can definitely kind of get more robots in and then you'll be able to cover everything. When it comes to potentially kind of spaces that we can't operate in, it's probably not necessarily a size element, but it's just an environment challenge. So for example, we, we talked with a couple of customers that have very, I'd say dirtier or messier warehouses because of the nature of like the materials and the things that they carry. We have been into one place where like there's no way the robots could work here because it's extremely dusty and actually wet. Sometimes it was getting flooded <laughs> and automatically you kind of back up and say, I'm sorry, Bob, we can't really help you because of those types of limitations. And there's still like a number of customers that are heavily kind of paper focused and very manual focused. Some of them don't even have potentially kind of digitized labels on the pallets. So there might be some limitations in terms of how much adoption of digital tools and technology is in there. Because if they're starting from scratch, we might not be the best solution to get as first in. Like obviously they should get WMS properly sorted and have some sort of way on kind of monitoring things digitally before we come in. But obviously that's just a very small part of the market at the moment. What kind of investment is required? We will operate on a robot-as-a-service business model, which is becoming quite the standard for the industry at the moment. And because of that, it means we charge a fee per robot per month. And in it, it kind of covers, obviously, the hardware units, but most importantly, the access to the data for a certain number of people within the teams and any kind of maintenance servicing from our side. This obviously means the cost is very limited to start. It kind of crosses that entry barrier to, to adopting the technology. And then obviously you can kind of scale up and down based on how many units you actually need. The reason you do that is because obviously the data is valuable, so automatically kind of matches that the ROI that you're, you're getting back. So the cost is, yeah, quite limited because you're not incentivized to invest a lot in a big piece of tech that then you have to also maintain yourself and take care of it because we, we take all of that away from the customer. Okay, so what kind of future proofing is in place on these products? That's a very good question, a very interesting one as well. We've built the technology with modularity in mind. And when I say modularity, I'm not only talking about the hardware components, the actual physical robots, but also the way the entire software stack, the entire autonomy stack is structured, all the way up to in the cloud system, the cloud robotics platform, and the fleet systems that we have. Why is this important? It's important because we work very, very closely with our customers. So when you deploy this technology, it's going to start with, I don't know, let's say five, 10 features, whatever we have at that point in time, that makes most sense for our customers to get going and start seeing the return on their investment. But as you have the technology deployed, you have infinite possibilities of expansion. So to be able to add new use cases, we have a very, very powerful hardware component. So we have extremely capable computer vision systems built into the robots. So we have state-of-the-art LIDARs, we have some bespoke sensors that we've created to be able to digitize the spaces. What this means is in the future, when we're looking at customer requirements saying, okay, can you give me this specific insights from the data? We're gonna be able to deploy these use cases basically instantly over the entire fleet because we have over-the-air updates. So let's say overnight, you know, you have 100 robots deployed across multiple warehouses, all of them in the next day, they will start being able to utilize these features and start being able to return this data. 
So it's a lot of complexity that you, you built into the product, but it's designed in a way thinking about the future, thinking that we don't know all the use cases that are going to come up now. What we know is that we need to make the best possible product at this point in time, which allows us in a year's time or two years time to be able to add these features and functionality in the most pain-free way for both our customers, because they don't want any downtime, but also for ourselves, because you don't have to go to, you know, thousands of robots deployed in the field one by one and, and give them the, the extra capability. Thanks to Bots and Us for giving me a tour and taking the time to speak to me. At the Logistics Podcast, we like to turn our listeners into readers and our readers into listeners. So please do sign up to the SHD newsletter by visiting shdlogistics.com. If you like what you heard in this specific episode, please see the full logistics report, which has plenty of articles about automation in theory and in practice. That's all from me. Thanks for listening. <laughs>